This is Andrew from FX Medicine. We thank you so much for your support over the last two years. We'd really love to remain clinically relevant to your practice. So if you know of an expert in some area, please let us know. You can contact us on fxmedicine.com.au, Facebook or Twitter. FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook and joining me in the studio today is Sonia Reynolds. Sonia is a nutritionist with over 10 years industry experience. Throughout her career Sonia has held many roles including sales, customer service and practitioner education roles for one of Australia's largest nutraceutical supplement companies. All whilst running her own clinic called The Right Bite in Sydney's Inner West. Sonia has a strong interest in the areas of detoxification, gastrointestinal and digestive disorders, and in particular working with children with special health needs. A passion I believe is born of circumstance. As a busy mum of two beautiful young girls, Sonia has also been on a personal journey treating, researching and understanding the therapy options for epilepsy following the diagnosis of her eldest daughter, Imi. And today, Sonia is going to share these insights with you, our listeners. Welcome, Sonia, oh, to FX thanks, Medicine. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we need to begin with where you started as a nutritionist. Why? And then can I ask, how did you feel when, you know, I guess there's this affront when we think we're doing everything right mm. and then suddenly we have a child and there's an issue. Yeah. And how do you feel with, how did you go with self-blame, that sort of stuff? Yeah, wow. You've asked me a big one. Yeah, let's jump. <laughs> let's jump in. <laughs> um, to answer the first part of the question, how did I get into the industry? Um, I had a quarter-life crisis, as they like to say it, <laughs> which I now know sounds very naive. Is that where you get a VW Beetle? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's when you decide you want to become a natural health practitioner. Yeah. So I studied to become a, a nutritionist with a naturopathic point of view. And, you know, I had all these dreams of what I was going to do and who I was going to treat. And I remember very specifically hearing about epilepsy when we were studying. And I thought, oh, I don't even want to listen to that. I'm not going to get into that. Like, huh. that's too hard. Like, it just sounded too hard. And I really, that that memory became very crystal clear in my mind when my daughter got her diagnosis. Mm. So mm. it's just funny how life happens. Yeah. Curveballs. Um, Curveballs. Mm. But that's okay. We can hit those. So basically Imogen was di diagnosed at three and a half. So it's called a sudden onset epilepsy and the night that it happened, um, she kept falling over all the time. And people think that epilepsy is a tonic-clonic or what we used to call a grand mal, yep. um, which is now called a tonic-clonic. Um, but it's not. There's lots of different forms of epilepsy, like an absent seizure, one called a myoclonic drop. So your eyes literally go in Turn the back of your back head it. and you drop. So she was having those. But we were like, we'd never seen anything like that mm -hmm. before. And mm. then basically her eyes just kept flicking in her head and she'd come in and out of it. 
And I called the ambulance going, there's something happening to my baby. Like, she's dying. Help me. Mm-hmm. And they turned up. Um, we're so lucky that we live in, the, you know, close to a, a, a good hospital in Sydney and they were there I, within three minutes. I wouldn't get off the phone Whoa. because I said, she's dying in front of my eyes. Yeah. So no one knew what it was that no one was saying it was epilepsy because it didn't look like classic epilepsy. And we still didn't think it was. And then it was over time um, that obviously we got an EEG and we did an MRI to make sure that she didn't have a brain malformation or something like that or a cancer. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I very much blame, well, you potentially blame each other as well, your partner, like, what did you do? What Look at your genes. Look what... Mm. Your but it's reasonable. Did. It's reasonable <laughs> to do this, and, and yeah. you know, resentment for let's say a partner who smokes, yeah, um, and sudden infant death syndrome, for instance, yeah, um, yeah. Or, or other adverse issues. Yeah. So I think that's reasonable, and I think it's not talked about enough. No, there's a lot of blame, and I think there's a lot of grief as well. And I think that's what surprised me is how much grief you experience when your child's life doesn't look like the way that you thought it should look. And that's okay, but grief is, a, it's like a wave mm. and it comes and goes. And I think the longer that we've been in on this journey, and I hate to say it that way, the more, the less you grieve, the more you accept and, and the less you blame because it is what it is and what's blame going to do anyway? It's not going to help you. But I think, you know, that, that sort of blame or resentment, it is a valid thing. Um, yeah. I, I didn't throw in the the, tw- the flip for that. And that is, let's say a male blaming their female partner for something like endo. It's no fault of the female, yeah. but it is also valid that the male has some resentment. How it's directed, however, mm. ah, that's the trick. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> you know? that I think that's where couples may have, you know, have issues with having a special needs child because they're because of that blame. So perhaps that's where some of those more complicated and partners do break up um, in these situations, but I'm lucky enough to have continued my relationship with my husband. So did did anybody heed those issues when these arose? Anybody in the healthcare system? I don't think anyone really talked us through that we were going to have shock. I think we were both in shock. Yep. And disbelief. No one had epilepsy in our family. There was nothing that we could, you know, I guess you think, oh, well, there's epilepsy in the family. Perhaps you're not as accepting, but it mightn't be a surprise. Like it just seemed so wrong out out there, just out of our our, our realm that um, I think shock, we probably weren't talked through enough that. But we were lucky. They did refer us to clinical psychologists and Ah, personally both my husband and I have seen clinical psychologists separately and Tim's was very much dealing with the grief and and anger Mm. and, um, yeah, like rage about how our daughter's life because she um, does have learning difficulties and delays. And when she was very sick, she was very, very sick, non-verbal back in nappies. So I think there was a lot of anger around those times particularly, or when times are particularly hard and you do take it out on each other. So yeah, we've very much, um, 
you know, employ had, the expertise yeah, of clinical psychologists. Absolutely. So I'm glad that they were offered you. I was sort of getting, oh, I'm getting the feeling. I'm paying for it myself. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It wasn't put on a silver platter. Oh, really? It wasn't offered as part of no. the, hey, listen, this is going to be something that you're going to work through. You no. may need some help here. No. That's a really interesting thing, isn't so, it? So, but, you know, thankfully we can go to a GP and ask for um, a referral as part of a mental health care plan. Mm. So that's what we both did. But you had to initiate that? Absolutely. Yeah. Good Good question. A failing of the healthcare system that they don't take it. That it's kind of like, there's the patient, I'm treating the patient. Everybody around them who is significant others can deal with their own sort of baggage. Yeah, totally. And yeah. I think I, something I wanted to say to you was that we're talking about treating special needs children, but really my heart lies with special needs mums mm. who, you know, need support mm. and, and not even special needs mums, mums. Like they put usually carry more of the emotional load and very often more of the physical load. The physical (laughs) load. So I think supporting these mums are really important. So I think that's a great question because um, for me, part of my, you know, well-being is to see a clinical psychologist to exercise a couple of times a week and eat well. And when I try and follow those um, parameters, I feel better and can better support my family and my children. So let's delve into that. Yeah. You're a nutritionist. Mm. Let's talk about navigating medicine yeah. and nutrition in epilepsy. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> um, I think the first thing is that when you have a refractory epilepsy, that means that you're drug resistant, mm. that two or more drugs haven't worked for you. So currently Imogen's on three anti-epileptic drugs. Yeah. Um, And it's the side effects that you get that you need, that that where naturopathy and nutrition really can come into play. For example, one of the drugs that she's on is called Keppra and it's well known in the medical establishment that you get what's called Keppra Rage. One of the reasons why I think you get this Kepa rage is because it depletes B6. So when you look, and it's very easy to find the evidence for it, is that it'll say, yep, Kepa depletes B6. So there's no wonder these little people are feeling rages if we think about how B6 works, as well as the other Bs as well. Um, so for me, I think every anti-epileptic drug um, should be co-prescribed with a B vitamin, no question. There's, there's certain ones with folate, miss. like, you know, phenytoin, yep. sodium yeah. decreases folate, but there's a titration issue there as well, isn't there? Because folate also decreases phenytoin. So you yes. have to balance there, there both a, of them to get a yeah. therapeutic effect whilst yeah. maintaining the folic acid. I don't know about B6. I, I, I've heard of B6-dependent seizures. Yes, there's also those. Yes, this is separate to that. This yeah. is purely related to... The medication, yeah. To the medication. Another medication is Lamictal and um, basically it can cause you to have less of an appetite Mm -hmm. um, and it can cause wakefulness. So if you're taking it at night, then you're going to be wakeful and then you're taking all these other drugs like a benzodiazepine to try and help you sleep. Polypharmacy, yeah. Yeah, fully. But and it's not like just that, is it? You've got the flow on effects of, of your carers as well. So the, the child is awake all night. Oh. The mother and the father, more likely the mother, is going to be then sleepless, sleep deprived. And Five that has years. flow on effects to relationships, to housework, 
to work performance to everything. Everything. Mm. We had five years where she didn't sleep properly. Wow. Like not a full night's sleep on and off, just a couple of nights and then a couple of nights. That wasn't related to the lamictal. It was, I, her epilepsy is rare because it's called um, ESES and it's a continuous spike and wave in sleep. So you never go into that deep sleep. Mm. There's always those spikes. So it really, over time, I found what she needs to take to get that good sleep. Um, but yeah, there was a long time where we didn't sleep and it was really hard. That now you have to explain Emmy's condition. Okay. The proper explanation. So it's called ESES. E-S-E-S. Yeah. Basically, it's a continuous spike and wave. So to a layperson, the, the spikes um, are just continuous. Um, quite, it's very aggressive. It's rare, but it's subclinical. So when your child's first diagnosed, for example, with us, we didn't know she had this, but it would have been there. Um, So initially she was diagnosed and then when she started having uh, language regression and behaviour regression amongst other things, then they say, okay, let's do a sleep-deprived EEG so you have to keep your kid up all night, (laughs) take them in, get them to fall asleep, do the EEG, Uh, (laughs) which gives them a seizure as well. So you've got a seizing child, keeping them up all night, and then you you run this sleep-deprived EEG and it showed that most of her brain activity was epileptic, but you didn't know that because it's subclinical. So you don't see it right. until they go to the EEG. So um, ESES is electrical status epilepticus in sleep. In sleep, yeah. Jeepers, you'd become an expert of acronyms, wouldn't you? Yes. That's <laughs> why so when you said explain ESES, <laughs> yes. I decided that I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just did. Yeah, thank you. So B6 worked in helping her get better sleep from the medications? No, not no. It helped with, well, yeah, good question. Obviously it would have, because of the neurotransmitters, that it would have helped support. But it's more about that mood and behaviour. Right. That's what it was. So specific. it decreases the rage. Yeah. Um, you know, Epilim, for example, is really well known for um, aggression and behaviour and we had Imogen on that at initially and it was probably the worst six months of our life. And we kept saying, this isn't our child. Like, this isn't right. Wow. Something's wrong. And they kept saying, no, 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 well, you weigh it up. It's either seizures because she also had the, the daytime seizures as well as the ESES. So it's your choice. You either have seizures or you have behaviour. And in the end, I just put my foot down and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And we were seeing a child psychologist at this stage to help us with her behaviour. And they said, okay, well, you can try Lamictal. So we titrated down and up. And in that time, they, you can get something called Stephen Johnson syndrome which is the rash, the full body rash. Yeah. So we had to be really cautious of that. But the change between my child on Epilim to my child on Lamictal is night and day. And so I'm a, I, I really push for people to, to get off Epilim basically because <laughs> I just, it was awful. But it's their neurologist that will be in yeah, control. Yeah, look, it's, it's that old school, you know, first line 
is Epilim usually uh, as part of their treatment. Have you looked into other therapeutic options? Um, Currently, we're looking at the special access scheme for um, medical cannabis. Um, Unfortunately, the process is very difficult Mm. and very expensive. And and to me, it's rather a setup. It's rather a a placation by politicians. Yes, you can get it, but no, you can't in the end anyway. Yeah. So you can go for a special access scheme, which is um, if you're really... um, in need. In need, yeah. yeah. If you've got a refractory epilepsy, for example. This is for the Australian healthcare system, I might add, to our yeah. listeners, by the way. But when you you have to find a doctor that is willing to prescribe it because and then, it's so... Which What is the education of those doctors? Who's educating them to choose yeah, the no. various cannabis products? Yeah, yeah. Um, usually the patient is expected or what I've been doing is, and I'm lucky that I'm in the profession that we're in because I have taught myself. So I've gone and contacted the different um, businesses that have been approved by the TGA on the special access scheme. Then I've looked at the ingredients and then I've based my decision on that, then taken it to the doctor. But that's a lot of pressure on a parent to teach themselves and educate themselves and then have the doctor to go ahead with it. But our doctor was very cautious about us using it because of the cost. It, it would cost about $1,000 a month to treat my daughter with one of the canna- cannabis products that's available that's in ridiculous. New South Wales at the moment. Yeah. So I've got to make... <laughs> I've got to find a nice benefactor once I get Move to Colorado. I know. <laughs> I've had that or conversation. Seattle. I've had that conversation. So on a serious note, though, mm. diet. Yeah. Dietary intervention. Now, you know, ketogenic diet has been employed for certain forms of epilepsy. Yes. How did you employ it? How well did it work? And did you run into any issues using it? Yeah, that's a great question. So the ketogenic diet is usually used as a last resort. The reason being is it's so hard. Ketogenic diets are very trendy right now, which is great, but the ketogenic diet that we're talking about is not the same. It's very specific. It's four parts fat to one part carbohydrate and protein. You measure everything. Every meal is to this ratio and you have to create a meal on a, oh, a spreadsheet. Right. So you don't just go, oh, that looks like four parts. That looks fun. That yeah. looks good. You're using it like it's a drug. And for that reason, it's 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 Hi. the last resort. Yeah. So basically we had, um, Imogen had had epilepsy for just over a year And she was regressing further and further and none of the drugs were working, basically. She was having daily seizures. The seizures were changing. We were getting everything from myoclonic to tonic-clonics. It just changed all the time. She became, so as you may or may not know, there's damage to the brain every time you have a seizure. And she's got these continuous seizures in her sleep. So she became non-verbal drooling, back in nappies, right before she was going to school. I look back now and I seem very naive, but I was quite determined to get her to start school and go to a mainstream school and get full funding. So looking back now, I was crazy, but the only way I was going to get my child functioning was on a keto diet. So we were enlisted in the hospital 
and we did the strict ketogenic diet for six months and we were able to get her to school and we were able to get her functioning out of nappies. Wow. She was still very low vocabulary, but she was functioning. Mm. Uh, The better she got, the more she rejected the food. (laughs) But you can imagine that it's not that palatable. If you think about that much fat, you're thinking about a tiny bit of protein and huge amounts of fat. And the nutritionist in me was like, I just don't think that's enough protein. And within that time, guess what? Chunks of hair were falling out of her head. And, you know, for me, it was a real protein deficiency. And I got further educated as you do. And I found the modified Atkins diet for epilepsy. So basically it's unlimited fat, unlimited protein and limited carbs. So it's much more palatable, adaptive. You don't have to put everything on the scale. You know, I pretty much had to stop working within the time that we're on the ketogenic diet because it was all consuming. Do you you think that it was required to have Emmy on that strict ketogenic diet in in the interim stages, in in the initial stages. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I debated that with the neurologist actually whether we needed to have done the keto diet to get her to the place where she was because obviously she was so sick. And he said I used that diet because I knew it will work quickly and most efficiently because in my mind you're turning off a lot of people from this diet doing this. I think it's old-fashioned. I would be inclined, and if this was my patient, is I'd say start on the modified Atkins diet, see if you get some seizure reduction, and then you can add things like MCT oils, which is a medium chain triglyceride triglyceride which is used like a carbohydrate so it's really important when you're on a restricted carbohydrate diet that you are getting the energy from somewhere else and that's why these kids are really lethargic so for me a key inclusion which they don't always do is that they need to have mct Uh, and the reason they don't include it is because it can give you diarrhea yeah it can if you go really high dose really quickly, so start low and titrate up. Yep. So really small tweaks I think could be made to, to make it less scary and, and less hard, but it is, a, it is difficult. You'd, going to kids' parties, when have you seen mm. a carb-free yeah. kids' party? Yeah. Nightmare. I, no. <laughs> I used to make ketogenic cakes. Yay, come to my party. Um, <laughs> and the kids would be like, meh. Yeah. And the adults are like, oh, I quite like it. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. The parents quite, well, I think, you know, they were being kind as well, perhaps. But, you know, we're lucky that we're actually in this day and age yeah. where coconut oil is easily accessible, coconut flour, um, what else? Stevia, things like that, that you can use as a sweetener. So I think it's easier now to do the ketogenic diet or modified Atkins diet than well, ever before. Ever, yeah, yeah. But for me, I think they really need to look at the diet that they're promoting in the hospital because they're, they're telling you to use margarine and loads of dairy. And I just think there's better nutritious ways to up the fat content in a diet. And was it your neurologist who was... Um, supportive of the ketogenic diet? Yeah, because we had, we were basically had done everything else. So we'd done intravenous immunoglobulins that hadn't worked. We'd done over four drugs. We would, she was not, yeah. So it's like the last resort. And he, he was very supportive. You know, what's really interesting is that I was speaking with a GP 
who was talking to, no, it was a dietitian who was talking to um, neurologists uh, attending a neurology seminar. And mm. this dietitian was speaking um, about uh, to them about the inclusion or the, the employment of the ketogenic diet. And they yeah. were saying, no, we couldn't be bothered with that because it was too hard. I can see where they're coming from because it it's out of their... So refer. Yeah. <laughs> refer to somebody that's expert So in that, that will work very closely with the dietitian and we did. Yeah. But it is scary and a lot of parents are scared of it because it is a lot of work. And that's why my suggestion is rather than going straight into the ketogenic diet, why not try modified Atkins diet? And when I went looking for the evidence, there actually is evidence that if you, um, when someone's first diagnosed with epilepsy to check for allergies like dairy and gluten, and if you remove them, specifically gluten, you should see a reduction in seizures. Right. Looking at gluten-free, dairy-free, low-allergen, you know, type anti-inflammatory meals. And then the keto if need be. Yeah. So there are other things that you can do. And if you really look, which I have, there is evidence for it. But sometimes you don't need evidence. You should just try it and see how your kid feels. That's my opinion. So just going back to cannabis, you know, Mm. that you're looking into and and you've delved into the research. Yeah. I get that we're not there yet in Australia. Mm. And we'll talk about the association that I think we should be supporting and that is United in Compassion. Compassion. So, yeah. um, What, from your research, what kind of cannabis is applicable for epileptic treatment? There's, you know. As in CBD. Zillions on the market. Yeah. So it's CBD you're talking about specifically. And are you talking about in exclusion of THC? Justin Sinclair has spoken so eloquently on FX Medicine and I've listened to his podcast and it's about using the whole plant um, because there is that entourage effect. And what I find interesting is in the Epidiolex trial, which was on Dravet syndrome, which is a very aggressive epilepsy, there was over 79% of um, respondents had adverse events. So I wonder if they'd had a whole plant Mm. that had the modulating effects of that trace amounts of THC, if they would have had as large adverse events. So I think that's something I'm really interested in. And I know United in Compassion is interested in that as well. Okay. So not to slang off about Epidiolex too much, it had some benefit, right? Yeah. Look, they did see a 30% reduction in seizures. So there's definitely a option. There's definitely a place for Epidiolex, no question. Um, But for me, I would really like access to a whole plant. Mm. So what other things, let's say the legal things that are available <laughs> in Australia, what things did you employ that were of use to Emmy's yeah. therapy, indeed her progression? And can I ask a point about what things did you find of no value or indeed might have had a, 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 a reversed impact on Emmy's progression? For me, the what really affected Imogen and her regression was the polypharma, the multiple drugs and their side effects. And navigating that and removing them, working out which drug is doing what was really difficult. And what I found frustrating was no one wanted to admit that it was the drug causing the side effect. It was something else. So that for me is really disappointing Mm. and I've had to really 
uh, push, like I said, to remove the epilim because I knew it wasn't my child. I knew it was drug related. So I think managing polypharma is very difficult. Mm. So what I had to do was find nutrients that wouldn't interact with the drug, like as you said with phenytoin, she's not on that, but that, as an example, and but also we're going to help support um, her epilepsy. So really easy one, magnesium. They've shown that magnesium is lower in epileptic patients. This is easily accessible mm. as well in mm. evidence. I'm mm. not mm. just Make making this yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. Um, personally, what I found was when she was not on magnesium, her muscles were very tight, like her little arm was just all seized yep. in a sense. Yep. So now I use a really good dose. I use three to 400 milligrams of elemental magnesium. And what age is she? She is nearly nine. Nearly nine now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, I find that dose is really helpful. Mm. I also put... Um, magnesium flakes in her bath every night, which I um, has benefits for her little sister as well. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that, yeah, it's that transdermal absorption as well. Um, I have her on an activated bee now. So activated bees only really became available in Australia very recently. And I've noticed a huge difference the point that people are saying, wow, what have you given Imogen that she's speaking so clearly and able to communicate? Because she is still very delayed. Yeah, yeah. So but cute as a button, I've got to so say. So cute. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly. Most <laughs> and the activated bees really uh, made a difference and I would suggest that's to do with meth methylation and detoxification. Omega-3s, I use a really potent EPA, um, 500 milligram per capsule and over 250 milligrams of DHA. Now, you use a capsule, nine-year-old, no problems. So They're rather big. we've taught her to swallow capsules, oh, Andrew. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Someone, we started with lollies. I know, forgive the nutritionist. It was only a day or two. But there are some and nice flavoured liquids out there now. Yeah, that's true, um, but I just like the convenience of being able to put yeah. the capsule in a mouth and and it's because we're doing medicine three times a day, whatever I can do to make my life easier, gotcha. that's what I'm going to choose. So it's Pragmatics. not yeah. as potent as, say, liquid fish oil, you're right, but I think it's compliance and ease of administration works every time with children. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, look, for other children that can't swallow capsules, then you would do a liquid, but... What they've found is that if your omega-3 status is uh, at a good level, then you'll get a better result from your B vitamins. So you get a better response from your B vitamins. So I think that's really important for someone like Imogen who potentially has that um, replication issue that they're getting the full effects of the B vitamins. And then Lastly, one of the ingredients that I love as well um, and that I've been trying to take for my mental health is L-theanine or theanine. And that's because it takes you into that alpha brainwave state. Yeah. So I found giving her um, theanine and magnesium before bed really helps calm her down. And then um, I also like to use probiotics. Yeah. 
I don't need to sell you on the gut-brain connection, do I? No. (laughs) Tick, tick. So, yeah. But there's so much more coming out about, you know, this gut-brain-brain-gut interaction. Galt. Who's Who's the controller of which? Yeah, that's right. So I think that's where the whole dietary related inf- um, information comes into it as well, because you want to take out what's potentially causing dysbiosis and a leaky gut and inflammation as well. You spoke about, uh, you know, the interaction of the nutrients, nutrients um, with regards to allaying side effects of medications. Mm. Um, where did you look for those? Did you were they were they readily found on MIMS or did you use uh, like for instance one of my favourites is um, Yvonne Coleman, the Nutrition Consultants Australia book. It's like a folder. It's as thick as your arm. It's, it's, I haven't seen it. She's incredible. I want it. And well, she's incredible. She does this. Um, she basically attacks various pharmaceutical classes um, each year and says, right, what's the data on, you know, um, mm. albumin binding on on transference on direct nutrient. That's um, amazing deficiencies caused by the, the medications. Yeah. yeah one, common ones, for instance. I is think I was OCP. reading her this morning. Someone sent a link out. So, ah, yeah. Okay. Funny. So Nutrition Consultants Australia, we'll put that up on our FX Medicine website for a resource for people to link in and they can buy that folder. Yeah. It is so valuable when you're teasing out new drug nutrient interactions. Yeah, that's great. Look, I I use a couple of um, uh, resources when I'm looking at drug nutrient in um, interactions. I go to PubMed. Yeah, I know. Dope. <laughs> yeah. Dope. Go to go Number to the one. source. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll go there and that's why I'll say sometimes, you know, the evidence is very easily found, like you go to PubMed and put in magnesium and epilepsy. So, you know, going to to the to the research that way, I use some resources books like Henry Oziki. Yep. You know, he's got a great nutrient Bible and I look at And the, it really is a nutrient Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and has been that for decades. Forever, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I use um, I Am Gateway as well. Yeah. So I'll, I'll look around wherever I can. Sonia, just to wrap up, you've seen major changes, major yeah. advances mm. in Imogen's um, behaviour, in her learning, her speech, her activity. What's the acceptance been um, by the medical team of your using nutritional interventions and how has that changed once they've seen these benefits take place? It's complicated. They know what I do and they'll say, okay, here's the supplement I want you to take. And I'll go, okay, I actually want to take this supplement. Is that okay? And they go, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, this is better. And they go, okay. So then... (laughs) It's got to do with their knowledge. Yeah. (laughs) And that's fine. People think that certain brands are really great. They don't have my qualifications and my knowledge. But I really wish that neurologists would co-prescribe a good multivitamin with good Bs to every single child that is on an anti-epileptic drug. I just think there's so many benefits and there's very little cost to help enhance their quality of life. I do tell them all our supplements, there isn't a lot of engagement, unfortunately. Right. They let they let me do my thing. But, but it's your thing. They but just, it's they just, my thing. Right. Yeah. But Can we have a great see? relationship with our neurologist. He's a great man. Oh, great. We do. But he, he lets me do my thing on my side and he'll... He'll just leave leave me to it. Wow. 
unfortunately. But, you know, one day I would love to be the person there, you know, training neurologists saying, this is what you could do, these simple tweaks to change these kids' lives. Well, we look forward to that day, certainly. Sonia, thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. For giving us not just your expertise, but your care of your beautiful daughter. You have got to be one of the most fabulous mums on this earth. Oh, thank you. And well done for your perseverance. And indeed, I wish you luck and I, I do wish you good fortune in the future um, trying to access the um, uh, cannabis that you want so desperately for Amy's benefit. Thank you. Thank you for your time. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you're loving our FX Medicine podcasts, Please don't forget to share us with your colleagues, family and friends.